February 22nd, 2023. Let's continue in our study, our Limud of More Nebuchim. What we've been discussing over the course of the last several weeks is this notion in Harambam's descriptions and his understandings. Um, we've uh, specifically focused on many matters with regards to Kedushah, Kedushat HaMakom, uh, Mikdash, Kedushat HaZeman most recently, uh, Shabbat, uh, Kedushat HaLashon, the Lashon HaKodesh, and so forth. We've talked about his concept as he's told us somewhat consistently with regards to what is it that Kedushah really represents. Is it something that's the fancy English word I introduced last week is ontological? In other words, it's of the essence, it just is Kadosh. Or alternatively, is it something that's uh, instructive? It's something that defines for us and empowers us, gives us a certain responsibility with regards to how to practice. Shabbat was where Harambam admitted uh, to us that the Torah says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was mivarechet yom ha-shivi'i So there's a certain sanctity which was imbued into the day, you know, defined accordingly, by God, it's just that he did then make that a little bit more complicated, a little bit more along the lines of what we expected from him. He said, but at the same time, reading between the lines, but in the lines as well, there's a certain responsibility for human beings. And namely, Kiddush. Kiddush is our opportunity, our responsibility to bring forth, imbue the day with our own um, aspect of sanctity. Um, and in turn, whereas Shabbat might represent a domain, a realm in time where there is an inherent Kedushah, that would need to be discussed further, teased out. You know, someone asked me after the class, uh, for example, uh, what does that mean if we lost track of the seventh day? Does that mean that we are not observing Shabbat historically? And so forth. But that, that was the statement of Harambab, that nonetheless there is a responsibility with regards to human beings. There is, so to speak, a, um, a vision with regards to how our personal growth will will uh, engender within that day and experience a certain aspects and certain, um, certain uh, uh, um, realities that wouldn't be uh, in place had it not been for us. Uh, what I'd like to this week then is uh, somewhat in a linear direction, not from Shabbat, but from the concept of Kedushah, uh, to approach and begin a conversation, maybe a week or two conversation with regards to Tum'ah and Tahara in the world of Harambam. So not so much Kedushah, where we talk about holy places, but Tum'ah and Tahara, and specifically, at least for this week, uh, the Tum'ah, the ones we'll focus on more, Tum'at Nida, Tum'at uh, Zava and Zav, um, the circumstances where the Torah describes a certain discharge from a person which contaminates them, of course, ritually, but what does that mean, that they're Tameh, uh, on that end. Of course, Tum'ah, generally speaking in the Torah, is associated with death. There is some sort of connection to death, which in turn imparts, even the discharge is envisioned uh, by many, if not all, as a certain loss of you, which in turn brings forth that Tum'ah. So the question is, with regards to envisioning, understanding Tum'ah in general, and maybe a little bit more particular, what is the proper, according to Harambam and to those who see it differently, vantage point for this matter? Instead of starting with Harambam again, I'd like to start with the words, several, of Ramban Nachmani, and then a little bit of Sefer Ahinuch, and, and maybe even Rabbeinu Ezra, one of the mentors, or one of the um, influences on Ramban Nachmani. So if you'll pick up in the first source here, it's Ramban's commentary al HaTorah, Ramban Nachmani. And um, he's talking about the Tumah of Nida. 
And the truth is, he had already addressed this matter. I left it off of the source sheet. He cross-references himself in the context of when Lavan catches up to Yaakov and his entourage, and Rachel won't get off the camel because she says, I'm menstruating, which is a strange response, which he almost accepts. You can't get off a camel because you're menstruating? I mean, is that a reason why you, you can't move? I mean, what... How does that excuse you? I'm looking for my terafim. So it's in that context that he first addresses this matter, and then he does it in the context, in the Torah, of Nida. See, if you take a look in Vayikra, Perek Yod Bet, Pasuk Dalet, I'm starting after that ellipsis, V'hanachon be'inai, ki ha'isha re'iyata, a woman during the days that she sees, oh, she sees blood, she's menstruating, tikare, she's known as Nida. The word nidui means to distance. In uh, rabbinic terminology, it's a reference to someone who's excommunicated. A woman who's a nida in turn is a person who, by virtue of what stage she's in, in terms of her development, uh, she's distanced. That's what the name means. And not only your husband, all people will naturally, if they understand this circumstance properly, distance themselves from her. V'yoshevet badad, she uh, dwells, she uh, sits separate from others. That's the Lashon the Torah will use by Mitzorah. When she's separate, lo tesaperim b'nei adam kelal. When she's a nida, she's not talking to people at all. Kigam because by the masses, Ramban Nachmani is describing, even her speech, even the breath, even, even engaging in conversation is dangerous in some respect. And uh, the, the ground, the dirt that she walks on is contaminated like it's, like its bones. And even her looking at something could harm. Vahaya, after the ellipsis, mishpat hanidot lashevet bo'ohil miyuhad. And historically, Ramban Nachman is describing, and again, now you understand how he's explaining Rachel, now it's kind of understood. But that's the way it was. She said, I can't move, I can't step onto the ground. Step onto the ground, you're going to have to burn the ground that I step on. I'm sorry, Dad, I'm just, and he kind of understands that. Uh, again, so the statement is they would be in their own ohil, their own dwelling place. Now, you might be expecting Ramban Nachmani, hey Lawrence, there's just these two papers if you want to take them. You might be expecting Ramban Nachmani to now inject and say, ah, this is all nonsense, this is all crazy. He'll never say such a thing. I mean, he's not going to tell you that these are normative practices, but he doesn't say that it's far off. The kernel of truth that was there is here, says effectively Ramban Nachmani. For that reason, the Torah seems to be more severe with regards to its instructions, its restrictions as well, uh, with regards to a Nida's sitting and lying in a place than just touching, because the vision is when she rests on it, it really imparts something. 
Now, in terms of our general question that we proposed at the onset, what is Tumah for Ramban Nachmani? We're already uh, finding out very quickly. It's something of essence. There is something there. This might not be physical per se. It might be. He hasn't really explained that to us. But there's something. His vision of Tumah in Torah, both historically in terms of nations and people, as well as Torah, is there's something to be talked about. Literally. It's not just we treat this as Tameh, as contaminated, but there is something. And similarly, when a person has Sarat, Sounds like there's a physical damage, and he's saying it almost black and white, a, a, a contagious, just by, uh, right, I suppose. So, so at the very least, in other words, what, what, um, what Abi will say for us is, He's equating, and that's significant, um, someone who has sarat, whom we might be able to say is, in our easy-to-understand way, contagious, and can inflict another through uh, close engagement, through breathing, with a nida. The reason she's not supposed to touch any Kodesh, any matters that are sanctified, not to enter the Mikdash, is because there is an essence to her which is called Tum'ah. It's dangerous in a literal sense. That's what he's stating. Ramban Nachmani, in his commentary to Vayikra a little bit later, in Perek Tedvav and Pasuk Yodalif, he's talking there about ziva, about discharge, not blood per se, but other discharge, which the Torah describes for us in Parashat Mesorah. The Torah describes certain uh, rituals that were co- connected to it as well. V'tam tumat hazov bi'ish mipenehe yoto holi kaved minacholaim hanitvakim. It was, this discharge is considered a sickness, mm-hmm. quite literally. It's a sickness which is contagious. He says the same by a, by a woman. You need to in turn thank God for fixing that which was wrong with you. You were, uh, you were in, in a problematic state of being. Wait a second, I, I wasn't uh, in bed. You weren't in bed, but, but you were sick. That's his understanding of Tum'ah and Tahara to a certain extent. Again, he's speaking physically more than spiritually per se in these contexts. Sefer HaChinuch is an anonymous book written in Spain some several hundred years ago. In Mitzvah Kof Nuntet, he's talking about the Shmona Shiratzim, the several um, creepy crawling uh, beings, which if you touch them, you become Tameh. And he says, I'll tell you the reasoning for it. First and foremost, understand, we don't really understand everything. Everyone has to admit. Sorry, I don't have enough copies, but um, I, I Everyone has to admit that we're not going to understand everything. But what we can accept, this is a statement, is that mitzvot of God in the Torah have a purposeful intent to some way better your life. That's his statement. Okay, I, mean, I think we could somewhat wrap our heads around. Ve'ata, he writes in the second paragraph here in source number three. After this introduction, that mitzvot, averot, are there to make you better. I can't... The knowledge, the wisdom of God, of course, is the source of all wisdom. Purpose is for our betterment. I don't want to address tonight kashrut, which he's addressing as well, but for our purposes, even if you and I can't 
in speaking to doctors, in determining with scientists, in looking into nature, figure out why is this a problem? Says Sefer HaChinuch, it might not be a physical one. There's got to be a purposeful goodness. He says, Tum'ah, which the Torah describes, not merely ritual, it will have an effect on your nefesh, on your mind, on your wherewithal. He quotes the Gemara, um, the Midrash and the Gemara Masechet Yoma, where the Pasuk says, Vinitmetem bam, and it's uh, really referring to Tum'ah, but it's written without an Aleph. Um, you know, for example, in, in uh, rabbinic literature, but even in Torah literature as well, if you were to refer to someone as a tumtum, tumtum is someone who's, whose private part is covered up, is closed. Tam, with a tet, means it's closed. Vanitmetem bam means that you'll be closed off. What's closed off? Your mind is closed off, as the rabbis understand it or seem to describe it, through contamination. Yes, yeah, something is metaphysical or intellectually affected in you through coming in contact uh, with Tum'ah. All right, so we have Ramban Nahmani setting forth strong words with regards to his vision. Again, an ancient description of Tumah, but he's subscribing to it. Maybe not to the extent that the Torah doesn't tell us the ground you walk on as a nida is problematic. Maybe not to the extent that the air that she breathes is problematic and she should be in a separate home. But we did take a certain aspect of it, not so much to accustom ourselves of, well, we're used to that way, and now it's like, no, 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 he's speaking about it in the real sense, and that's why, and he seems very intent and clear about this, that's why the Torah has these statements and these warnings, at least many of them, if not all in their own ways. Sefer HaChinuch, a little bit more intricate, a little bit more admitting to the fact that, I'm not really going to see this in the physical world, so you might have a lot of questions, says Sefer HaChinuch, but it'll affect you. I don't see the effect, all right, you don't really understand how your intellect is working, you don't understand your emotional, spiritual wherewithal, um, to the extent that in sources four and five, starting with the rabbi, one of the rabbis of Ramban Nachmani, at least for mysticism, Rabbeinu Ezra, where he cites the Midrash of the Hachamim, that there were six important people who died in this godlike way. Uh, the, the, the Gemara Masechet Bava Batra talks about the righteous ones that lo shalat bahem malach hamavet. The uh, angel of death never took his, took his hold upon them. As a result, what he states and implies, and Ramban Nachmani follows this staunchly, did a whole class on this during the summer in, in, in a halachic context, but Ramban Nachmani is suggesting that if you're a Kohen, you can visit, visit Ma'arat HaMachpelah, but why so? Kohanim can't come in contact with Tumah. You should know, Avraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov did not die in the natural fashion. If they didn't die in the natural fashion, if Malach HaMavit never took a hold of them, define accordingly, I'm no Kabbalist, but if that was the case, well, in turn, there is no Tum'ah. One second, what are you suggesting? You're suggesting then, or stating explicitly, Tum'ah is something real, it's ontological, it's of essence, it is there, you will be changed. And as a result, if there's no Tumah, even though it seems the same, it's a dead person who's buried there, there's no such problem. What is the halakha al-ma'aseh on, on Kivre Sadikim? So we discussed it in a class. 
happens to be until today a machloket of the poskim. Uh, generally speaking, I instruct and, and advise kohanim not to come in contact. I understand that as the normative practice with uh, kivrei sadikim, but none other than Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu was posek that for kohanim, again, very much in line with this line of thought, right? This mode of envisioning tumah as a matter of essence. And as a result, they might be dead. We're not going to deny that. We're not envisioning them as still alive. But their death didn't have have that aspect of Tumah, and as a result, in a literal sense, they understand it, is in a mitamin. Again, that's not to say that someone couldn't explain that allegorically, but that's how they understand it, literally, practically, in the real world. Okay, I mean, there are Gemarot to point to, and as we discussed over there, where the Hachamim went. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That's Ramban Nachmani and Rabbeinu Ezra's is rabbi, of course. Again, you never know. Are we going to actually go that way? That's what I'm telling you. Until today, there are piske halacha. I'm told by more than one Kohen in our community that they've gone to Ma'arat HaMachbelah because the father went so forth. Now, are there other reasons? Maybe we're not certain where the bar- all that's what might be. But if we're accepting that as a burial plot, that, that's, that's a significant circumstance. The Gemara does, as I discussed in that, that class, the Gemara might allude to this in one or two circumstances where there were rabbis going and marking off the places of righteous uh, uh, burial places, which might... This is an extension from going from that is for sure correct. That is for sure correct. But Ramban Nachmani makes the jump. Yes, Rich. We're not saying the same thing. We're only saying they're equivalent in the following respect. There's something actually present in that circumstance. When you come in contact with it in the way that the Torah tells you not to, you have changed either physically or metaphysically, but something has changed. Right? That's, that, that's the point we're making. Intrinsic something to Tuma. Uh, contagious either physically or metaphysically, right? That's the, that's the reality. As we're saying. He says the reason is, is that it is a mental um, contract because what you're dealing now is with death. And when you deal with death, you question God. So that's like, why do Quran become just so he can get through the day? So all these things are not actually physical. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating and Maimonidean, and he might even say this in his Mishneh Torah in his own way, along those lines exactly. I'd, I'd say very, very cautiously, that that's not what any of these are saying. What Ramban Nachmani said, right? you can stretch them. It could be, but they, you know, if that's the message, let's just put it this way. They have to be a little bit more explicit about that. In other words, if the message is it's distancing yourself, so you're more conscious and mindful, uh, they should be telling us that. So they should be telling that Ramban will elsewhere, not in the passage we're going to read. But that direction, uh, the AB quoting from Rabbi Shama direction is already bringing us in a thought process which is divergent, which is not along the lines of any of these uh, most recent sources, which means to say that there's not something of essence in the context of Tumah, but there's something that it can do to me based on my understanding. My way of life can and should be altered because of Tumah. 
Again, along the lines, not identical to our previous conversations. Is Kiddusha something, or is Kiddusha something that I appreciate, something that I construct and create? It's a similar, uh, uh, we're discussing that in a similar respect over here with regards to Tuma'a and Tahara. Yes, John? What, what's Ramban's source for, for his approach? Um, it's a good question. Ramban Nachmani was very mystically influenced, so that's, so that's certainly the reality. Um, he also, there was this knowledge, what he describes as, as an explanation to the Rachel story, this Harambam will say that explicitly as well. This is apparently, and was still, Harambam seems to say it's still going on in his day. There are practices from other sects, as Harambam describes, and apparently Ramban Nachmani had knowledge of this as well, that they would, for ritualistic reasons, but beyond that, because they believed there was something of essence, distance themselves. So Ramban Nachmani is talking almost like a historian over here, but he's not just looking back and saying, oh, you see how they used to think, and that's what the Torah is reacting to. No, no, he's saying that's the way they used to think, and that's what the Torah is presenting to us. So I think really they're just, they're just noticing, and uh, I'm sure there's traditions connected to it as well. But that, that is certainly the way he presents it. So Harambam addresses these sorts of matters and others here in Hele Gimal in Perek Mem Zayin. It's in the context of his addressing many mitzvot and averot, restrictions and, and, and obligations, and their reasoning and their rationale, of course, each in his own intricate, detailed, and sensitive fashion. Here, Perek Mem Zayin begins, HaMitzvot, Hakilulot is nearing the end of his groups of mitzvot and averot. The twelfth one is Hen Ele Shemaninu In his book called Mishneh Torah, he has a he has a whole section to the halachot of Tahara. He says that's what I want to address in this group. Even though we generally addressed it earlier in More Nevuchim, in Perek Lamete, the footnote tells us, Nosif says Harambam, Let's now address it properly. I guess if we were being fully thorough, we should also read Perek Lamete. Maybe we will. But for our purposes tonight, he says, here's where I'm really going to detail it for you. After I finish doing so, this is my purpose is to get to the bottom line in terms of defining the time, the reason for those which are clear to me. He's not proposing or suggesting that he knows the reason for all, but that's, that is his direction. Now, I'm going to, for purposes of time, and maybe we could go back, just skip the next paragraph and go to the paragraph right after that on page 625. And the paragraph right after that is where he really gets to the point. And the point goes as follows. I mean, I could briefly, maybe instead of skipping it fully, just read the first few lines of that next paragraph. Omar Efo, from the top of 625. This Torah, which Moshe was commanded, and as a result, we attribute it to him. Uh, sometimes Harambam just throws in lines like that. You know, you have to just piece it. Uh, it's called Torah to Moshe. I got it. What does that have to do with this concept? He'll do that, and you have to pay attention to it, and you have to make a mental note of that. If you're reading the Moreh and trying to get to the bottom of his thought, you have to pay attention because he throws those clues and hints all the time. All right, anyway. Ba'arak lehakelet avodot hapulhan ve'et hamatalot. Kol ele mitokhan she'ata asui lidamot she'esh bahen koshi 
או מטלה כבדה, מכיוון שאינך יודע את מנהגים ושיטות הפורחן שנמצאו בימים ההם, ראוי לך להשוות בין שרפת אדם, אם יעלדו להשם פורחן, לבין שרפת גוזל של יונה. This is the purpose of all מצוות, all העבירות, all ritual that the Torah describes to us, is to take what was existent and difficult and to, to accept it, but to minimize the difficulty, to make it easier. He says, you might not be familiar with ancient rites, R-I-T-E-S, um, of, of Avodah Zarah, but let me tell you just one example, and from that, you'll be able to apply many of the others. He says, to burn a child is a lot more difficult than to burn a dove. I think we can all accept that. So the Torah, his statement is, tells you, take a chick, a dove, a baby dove, and burn that. It's taking what was rampant in a world long ago, saying, you want to dedicate yourself to God, that's the way you know to dedicate yourself. This is very harambam, we know this, even though we haven't learned it together, about korbanot. This is the way you know to attach yourself to God. Very difficult the way they're, ex- they're expecting you to do it. I- I'll accept it. I'm okay with it. But let's make it a little easier for you. That's the direction here. So the direction is that the mitzvot and averot are not there to make your life difficult. Oh, that being the case, tumah and tahara is what we need to get to. So nida is going to be at the forefront of our, our mind. I don't know about you, but the general consensus is that husbands and wives not being able to be together constantly makes life more difficult. So which part of that was to make life better? Which part of, in today's day and age, it's easy for us to talk about it psychologically. It's a little bit anachronistic to trace that back to the Torah, that it was striving for better relationships because the Torah talks about nidah in the context of general Tuman Tahara. Doesn't talk about so much in the context of marital relationships, talks about in the context of Tuman Tahara. So how is that purposed? How is any of Tuman Tahara purposed to somehow change my life? Take a look at the next paragraph. Le'ahar zot omar. Kevar hizbarno shekola kavana bamikdash shetivatsar hi pa'alut balev hapone elav veshivhad veira. He says the whole purpose or a primary purpose of mikdash of a makom, which God chose for us to worship him at, was to instill within us feelings of awe, of fear. That's the purpose. What do you mean? That's right, that's it. That's, that's, that's why God needs a house. I mean, it brings us back to our conversation about mikdash. That's makom kadosh. No, inherently. No, 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 not so much. It's what does it do to you? Have you became a per- become a person as a result of the knowledge of this place, as a result of entering into society, as a person's tre- trepidation? I mean, you know, it's so to speak, I, I don't know, uh, does, the, uh, does the mayor live in, in New York in the, uh, what's it called? Crazy Mansion. Mansion. Does he live there? He actually lives there. Uh, this one's not going to help us. The former one didn't. How do you like that? All right. All right. Well, if we were to establish... What's that? Bloomberg, Bloomberg certainly did. You're good. Yeah. Right, so Bloomberg certainly didn't, but I imagine he still held meetings there, he still held public things there. For what reason? Why not just invite everyone to his own home? The mansion of the, of, of, of the, of the mayor has a certain stature, has a certain status. The fact that you're entering into a historic landmark location 
already instills within you a certain respect, a certain pomp and ceremony in a purposeful way. Now I respect the position. Now I understand this meaning is, meeting is significant. I understand this address has, S, has an essence to it. That's the statement with regards to Mikdash. God doesn't need a Mikdash. But the purpose of Mikdash is, as it says, Umikdashitirau. It is, it almost, you know, the, the instinctive way you and I, I imagine, initially think about this is, well, there is a Mikdash. Now says God, fear my Mikdash. It's my home. You're not going to have fear. He says quite the opposite. God doesn't need a home. He doesn't need a mikdash. The purpose is to instill you with fear. You know, it's reminiscent in my mind. It brings, it brings to, to light, you know, the Pesukim in, in two weeks ago, Parashah and the Pesukim, Parashat Vayet Hanan, which I love very much, where Am Yisrael turned to Moshe as God is instructing them, the Aseret Adiberot. And I said, please, Daberatai, Manu, you, you speak to us. We can't listen to God. And then it's, it's kind of left out, the conversation between God and Moshe. But then you get the response. And God says, hey, Tibu Kol Diberot. Great job. It tells us in Farashat Vayetchanan. You want to know why? Me'itin, if only their heart, their mind, which is filled with fear right now, let them go with them, uh, go with them the rest of their life. Effectively, God is saying, the Torah is telling us, the purpose of Har Sinai was not for the Ten Commandments. The purpose of Har Sinai was not to hear, quote, the sound of God. What was the purpose? Uh, to instill a certain fear within us. It, it takes what usually, instinctively, you and I say is the outgrowth and it makes it into the purpose. The purpose of Mikdash is Yirah. Okay, let's pause for a second now. Okay, so we got the mansion of the mayor and um, it's now opened up for the public. You and I can visit it whenever we like. And there are school trips there. And my children are just in the mood to go for a, a walk through a big building. So they go there at will, on whim. Uh, does it still have the same status? Certainly not. Suggest Harambam in the next few lines. That is the purpose, with an under, capital T and P, of Tuman Tahara. The idea of Tuman Tahara is you now cannot enter the Mikdash. You can't touch Devarim Kedoshim. Why not? Nothing about you is per se different. Maybe a little dirtier, maybe, if that's the circumstance. But the purpose is, now you have the fear of the place more, because you can't go there all the time. I can't go there when I have discharge. I can't go there when I came in contact with my wife. Who's in it. I, can't go, I can't go there in any of those circumstances. So I give you all these restrictions just not to ruin your life, to instill a certain fear of Mikdash. It's a fascinating statement, which we're about to read, of course, because if we take a few steps backwards and say, but wait a second, it's been a good 2,000 years, and we're still steadfast on many, not all of these halachot. Fascinating thing. If their primary purpose was Mikdash, Yirah, Morah, what does that leave us right now? Now, lest you think that's a bomb question on this, it's a question 90% of the Ta'ameh HaMitzvot of Harambam. 90% of his reasons are to distance us from Avodah Zarah. Got news for you. Not really our threat any longer. Should we strike them all out? It's a large question, important one, which I like to talk about, but not going to address right now. For our purposes, the point is nothing more than to state it in a sentence before we read it. Harambam is in direct contrast to everyone else we, we learned today. There's no essence of Tum'ah. The concept of Tum'ah is a... A human understanding convention, you guys distanced. I know that he's going to say that the neighboring nations used to distance themselves. So you guys already have a certain trepidation of all circumstances. 
Fantastic. Run with that and run away from my mikdash. And I'm going to give you a lot of restrictions to keep you away. You want to know why? Because then when you approach it, your relationship with me will be strengthened. Your, your, your emotions in that moment will be heightened. You'll be a lot more hesitant to just approach God, so to speak. That's what he's going to describe. Any matter which you, which you are reverent of, which you have respect for, when you continuously touch it, you have less of the experience of being marveled by it. Of course, you might imagine him now saying, that's why Nida, okay, that's any, I imagine any, Ricky can attest to this, any good Hatan teacher will say today to the groom, I don't know what the purpose of Nida is, the more you distance, the more special it becomes, the more sanctified it becomes in those circumstances. Haramba won't go in that direction with regards to Nida. We can apply it, which already gives you a little bit of an opening to what my vision is on what to do with these ta'ameha mitzvot. Okay, but that's a long conversation. Anyway, the rabbis, um, they, they, made, they, they turned our attention to this content. They made a statement, don't just go to the mikdash all the time. They say the pasuk in Mishle, make certain that you, you, you don't just come into your friend's home, meaning God's home, all the time. And if this was the reason, it's for that reason that God forbade to people who are Tameh, turn to the Mikdash. Uh, you hear that? You'll rarely find someone, certainly in today's day and age, but ever, who's, who's actually Tahor. You want to know what that means? The Mikdash is more pristine. There's less people there. It's more separate. It's more instilling fear within us. It is, an, it is a mechanism which God used to keep us from entering the Mikdash. It's an amazing concept. That's his suggestion. What it, it, it gives us a reverence of the place, which in turn gives us as human beings a more reverence of God. Now, why is it specifically these things? What, what do you mean? No, I don't, I don't see the connection. It's because most people can never get to the Mikdash anyway. <laughs> so, now I'm saying because well, where they live, whatever. So, I, I don't... I don't understand the connection of the... Okay, so that's, so that's just a question. Uh, that, that's just a question. Your, your point the, uh, is just a general question on Haram Bam. No, most yeah, of the people wouldn't be... Not being able to get there and not being allowed to get there is too different. It's still different. Okay, so what is the fear or what is the yira of, you're saying, the, of the place? You feel the awe and awesomeness of the encounter with God when you realize that the place which has been designated by Him is a place that you're not always allowed to enter. Okay. Now, in terms of the specifics, Abi, which you were addressing earlier, he hasn't done. And so it's just, it's just an excuse to Matmed and all these. So he'll have to touch on those things. 
For our purposes already, though the point has been made, it's not just Kedushah, it's Tumah as well. Tumah is a mechanism of experience for human beings, of somehow heightening our awareness, of changing us. Not exactly in the direction we talked about earlier from Abi, but that's the point. That's his direction. He says, listen, so many people are Tameh. If you didn't touch a dead corpse, well, did you really not touch a, a rat? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't touched either one of those recently. But anyway, once upon a time, I guess, there were rats and mice and things of that sort everywhere. That's right. Um, that's right. Okay. So again, the point is, they were everywhere. If they were everywhere, you were always becoming Tameh. As a result, people come into contact. I will say, you're very clean. No rats, no mice, no corpses. You've never touched, you never came in contact with a woman who's menstruating. You haven't touched any of them. You haven't become one of them. You haven't sat on something that they've sat on. No, no, you're good with that. Somehow you controlled your body. You were very. To have relations with your wife. Or from uh, uh, having a seminal discharge. Even if you went through the process, sometimes arduous, sometimes lengthy, of becoming tahor from any of these tumot, becoming pure from any of these kadabas, you can't immediately enter in. There's a specific halacha. You need to wait until nightfall. So let's just review this again. You somehow overcame, or you went through the process. You're now tahor. Honey, I'm going to the mikdash. You can't go to the mikdash yet. You need to wait until the sun goes down. You need to wait until tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning? No, I'll go tonight once the sun goes down. So the sun went down. Can I go? No, you can't go in now. Just wait until tomorrow morning. You don't know what sometimes happens at night. Maybe you're going to have relations with your wife that night. Which means to say, oh, would you know it? Can't go into the Mikdash. No, but I just went through the process. Just need to wait even more. In other words, his vision of this all is a mechanism, a detailed mechanism of God to not bar, but to distance our entrance on a consistent basis into the Mikdash, which in turn inspires us to awe and reverence of the place and of him. You won't come and knock on the doors of the Mikdash at any time you, sp- you see uh, fitting or you want to. In truth, you you already know the words of the rabbis. Even if you are tahor, you have to immerse yourself before entering into the azara. There's processes, there's procedures. You'll have that fear, that awe. You'll have a hipa'alut, um, uh, uh, means to... Um, to kind of have a, uh, you're, you're emotionally triggered, I don't have the right word for it, uh, which will bring in turn to the, weaky, uh, the weak and shaky legs, which is necessary. You know, you'll have trepidation. You'll be nervous. You will realize this is a grand moment. This is a moment of hesitation. It's the, it's the platinum latch. You can't get it if you're not a that's it. That's it. That's it. All right. Um, 
right. I, if only I knew what that was. But yes, it's the Platinum Lounge. What's that? That's in the airport? It's a lounge where there's the... Understood. It, we're, we're associating the two. We're associating the Mikdash. Mikdash is ki malamakom to the place which I have chosen, l'shakenet shemisham. So we associate. Doesn't mean God is only there. Certainly no, not. That. But saying, yes, at it's... At base level, for him, Ahava is really... And you don't see any mention of Ahava in terms of coming to that level. That's right. We're working on Yirah right now. That's... Uh, but Yirah has fear or Yirah has like some sort of like wall? Or reverence. Reverence, yeah. Again, but that is Harambam's Yirah in general. At least in Yisodeh Torah, that's his Yirah. It's not a pahad on the other end. Himatseut im metim bimyuhad krovim ushkenim tahad gad yehad metsuya yoter mikol tumah coming in contact under one roof, not even touching with uh, dead people, of, uh, specifically relatives. It's somewhat prevalent, you know, when you're living in small quarters with a lot of family members. And you should know that, which is very common, he says, you should know that, you know how you become purified from that? What he envisions as one of the most common contaminations in the most rare and unique forms. You need a paraduma. His suggestion, although he's not saying he knows the reason for paradma, quote, he quotes a midrash elsewhere that we don't know the reason per se for it, but he's suggesting the fact that it is so rare, so unique, so hard to find is purposeful. The purposeful notion over here is now you won't easily become tahor. That's right. I want it to stay that way. Now he will continue. I'll already tell you right now in case you're getting nervous. And I'll say, don't think this is in some way stymieing you. This is in some way hindering your life. What do you mean? Now I'm tamay all the time. No, silly. Being tamay only changes you. He'll say these words with regards to entrance to the Mikdash and eating Kodesh. You're not a different person. You could do everything all the same way. You could eat your food in any way, shape, or fashion, just like if you were a tahor. But so the, the point is the whole purpose of it. No. It does not. It changes you in terms of mind, in terms of approach. Yes. Um, and he goes further, and he, he he makes this point with regards to each of the tumot. We'll read them quickly. He says, as you go down, there's less and less um, necessary. He says the most prevalent tumot are the hardest to overcome. They're the longest to overcome. The least are the quickest. This is all purposeful, says Harambam. The, the most prevalent, oh, that's my opportunity to keep you out. It's going to happen to you. I'll give you seven days on that paraduma. It doesn't happen all that often. Oh, it's just a token day, a token uh, korban to heighten awareness and understand. I don't really need that. I'm not going to take advantage of it. It's, it's, it happens to be, not that he needs my stamp of approval, it's brilliant the way he aligns this all. Is it intuitive or counter? It's a separate conversation, but hazivut, the hanidut, if you have discharge, uh, seminal or otherwise, uh, or, or, or blood, misuyot to have that discharge is more common than touching something. That's why they need the seven days. 
That's a significant thing. If you're touching it, it's going to happen less. We assume you're a little bit more mindful. A body, just uh, the, the nature of your body. If you come close to them, they only have one day. Those sorts of these discharges are even less, and therefore there's less necessary. All those things which were encasing or incorporating under the heading of Tuman Tahara, uh, now he gets a little bit further. He says, those things are also Nechshavim. I'm saying the Torah is telling you that they're also considered dirty. They just are. I mean, blood is dirty. Discharge is dirty. Says the primary focus and purpose, I told you. Is there not other reasons? No, there are other reasons. I'll help you with those. Let me just remind you. We need to pay attention. Are any of these other purposes and reasons something of essence? The answer I'll tell you from the onset is no. They're all purposeful in terms of engendering within you a change. I'll pause again just to make a point that we've made every time. Sometimes this could be a letdown. This Maimonidean vision of, but it's not a matter of essence. My life is a lie. Uh, that changes my perspective on life and on Torah. There's also, at the same time, I understand such an approach, but I think you're missing the fuller picture. The fuller picture is that it's empowering and it gives you responsibility and it gives you the understanding that you can and will change yourself through these laws, not just that it will happen to you because a button was pressed or God zapped you, but you now have a responsibility to live life in a real way and to change the world and yourself through that life. That's, that's a very big deal. The first is, objective is, to keep you clean. Being, being clean is, it heightens your awareness. Might even make you healthier as well. He might even be implying that, but certainly mindfulness. As we mentioned, it gives that shemira. Okay, not not a hard word, a safeguarding, and I can accept that word in this context. That's fascinating one, very maimonidean. It's also the Torah admits and pays attention to what's already prevalent. You're already distancing yourself from this, you're neighboring of, of peoples, and uh, they already believe these things are intrinsically problematic. Okay, I'll take my korbanot, you know, no, this is a concession of sorts. He says, and he's going to describe this in a few moments, this other sect and uh, nationality and uh, the tzavya, which he refers to one or two or more times in the more, and you'll see their ways, which are extreme on this matter. Sorry, go ahead. But, okay, going back to the third one, because we're saying it was prevalent, that could mean that actually it would never, would not become halakha. If, if, if eventually... In an ideal world. Yeah. He, he's saying, you know, like you said, Gorbanov. So that might not actually need to be halakha. So that's an interesting question, which has to be addressed in the context of Korbanot. I already, yeah. I already see your angle on it, but... Um, you know, in other words, the question is the same in terms of korbanot, and I'm, I'm not going to do it all right now, but uh, I give no, me my word, we'll do it. Does it mean, if, if it's a concession of, uh, of a mitzvah or avera, does that mean that when we're no longer in that world, and we have Sanhedrin or Shia, whatever you want to say, whatever, that it will no longer be existent? That, that's an important question to address. But in theory, you know, okay. so The explanation is very nice for an average person, but the laws of... Torah and Tumah apply to everyone. What about the 
greatest tzaddik who doesn't need the Tum'ah to remind him that the holiest place. So he should just be allowed to just go in because he's going to have the Ricky, interpretation I, in the mind. Would you ask this question about every one of the Ta'ameha Mitzvot? In other words, if I were to give you any reason for any of the Mitzvot, it's to engender X, Y, Z. What about the person who already no, has it? We're, we're saying that we said before that the reason for, the reason for Tum'ah and Ta'ameha is its purpose, in your words, its purpose is to make you feel fearful of the Mikdash. Right. If that's its purpose, and all these extra ones that we're saying are just talented to be cute, then you should argue that for the guy, the guy, it shouldn't matter. The person who doesn't need the reminder. But, but again, I'm, I'm going to tell you that about many of the mitzvot. Uh, many of the mitzvot. Uh, the answer has to be. No, but uh, we, we don't. For, like what? Which one of the 613 do you say because this guy's already perfected himself, quote-unquote, he's exempt? We never give a reason for that. That's the no, reason. but the, this book, believe it or not, gives us reasons for, for all. And even Kohen Gadol has, even Kohen Gadol. Anyway, so, so that, that's the response. Those are those words. And the last and final purpose, it says, is once this is prevalent, once people are acting this way, they're not touching these things, they're not coming in contact with these things, they are distancing the nida and all that sort of stuff. Now says the Torah, let me just make this a little lighter on you. We'll work with that, but let's lighten it to the extent that it's only Kodesh and Kodesh. It's a fascinating thing. Again, and he, he warned us of this in that first words that I almost skipped at the beginning where he said to us, this is going to sound distant to you because you're not really in this mindset. Go ahead. Meaning, what he's saying is, come and practice at the time. If you came into contact with the dead body or you were menstruating, everyone just kind of Stay away from That's right. So we're going to incorporate that into the code and we're going to try to... We're going to adjust it and turn it only into a mikdash and That is correct. He'll say it now. He'll tell us about, and, and this is where I have a little bit of fun in our last segment of the class. He's now going to tell us about what seems to be taking place in his time. Certainly he describes as before him. He says it's still relevant and prevalent. And he's almost laughing at it. We're going to then, after that, we have a few more sources. Let's see, did everyone laugh at this? So here he writes, Minhag mifursam shalatzavya adzmanenu ze is land this sect of people. Kavanati le she'erita Zaroastrians. Shahanida tiyeh babayit levada. Their practice is a woman who's menstruating stays by herself in a home by herself. Quarantine. Hamekomot she'idorechet alehem nisrafim. Uh, gloves, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Those are masks. Any place that she steps onto would be burnt. Uh, China style with COVID, right? I guess. If you speak to her and she's not wearing a mask, you become tummy. This is describing what's going on in his time. If she breathes onto you, you become, you got a quarantine. That was an amazing thing, right? Look at the difference between their way and our way. Look at the difference between their way and our way. 
The Gemara Masechi Ketubot says everything a woman could and will be involved with in the home, even vis-a-vis her husband, she does when she's menstruating, except for a few, three, a little bit more, but three specified uh, actions and activities which are emotionally engendering. They bring forth a closeness. But everything else is done. No separate house. What about a mask? No mask. Oh, what about burning the ground? None of that. Harambam is drawing a contrast here, and that's that that was the point with regards to the status and stature within Halakha and Torah. Velonis there's no relations. Their way until today is if a person gets uh, clips their nails or they, they lose their hair or they have blood that comes out, tame, that's their practice. Says Arambam, lekach kosapar tame. It's for that reason they envision barbers as being tame. Ledatam, vneshu nogea badam ubasea, because he touches blood and he touches hair. Vecholamit galeach tovel b'memayan. And any person who goes to take a shave, they then have to immerse themselves. I will tell you, there is a halakha, certainly mentioned until today, that when we take haircuts, we wash our hands afterwards ritually. When we clip our nails, we wash our hands ritually. Now, Haram Bam is, 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 is not, on, not only uh, not paying attention, he's negating it. He's like, you see what they do? ele rabote meod enenu to'anim do that ritually. it's not tuma It's specifically with regards to Kodesh and Mikdash. Okay. Or in his time, so, so, yeah, so that, that, uh, it's an interesting point that you say, is it per se avodazara or is it the ways of idolatry? What Harambam is the point that I want to sharpen, I, I, Sammy uh, asked me about uh, last week, I'll sharpen it briefly now again, uh, what Harambam seems to be, Sammy help me articulate this, seems to be describing to us throughout these, these mitzvot and concepts that he's addressing is a way that he's carefully crafting to negate another way. That other way, it's hard to say, and I won't say it fully on purpose, is in his eyes the way of Abu Dazara. To attribute essence in a full sense, not in a Shabbat sense that we then have play a part, but to attribute essence which is deterministic, which is fatalistic, which takes me out of it, that's idolatry. That's the way of the idolaters. And he's suggesting that in this context as well. If there's something inherent to Tuman Tahara, I'm, I'm, I'm extending it further. That's not our way. That's not how we envision this. There has to be something that engenders within me a change as opposed to just being. That's not to say that sicknesses don't exist. But he says that's not what the Torah would be addressing. The Torah is dealing with matters uh, beyond that. All right, so now uh, the last part I want to do is now that we've read that last paragraph in Haram Bam, I want to reflect upon that and just read a little bit of, of a, a, a larger uh, amount of, of rabbinic literature since the composition of Harambam and something that he, that he wrote himself among many other conversations to be had. Now first, source number six. It's written in the book called Birke Yosef. Birke Yosef was written by Maran HaHidar Bihaim Yosef David Azulai, who passed away in the early 19th century. He's quoting in turn from Sheilot Tishubot of Ri Ibn Megas. That's Rabbi Yosef Ibn Megas. That's a very important Spanish rabbi who preceded Harambam. Happens to be, I have his Sheilot Tishubot. 
I don't know that we have this response any longer. But listen to what Haida quotes in his name. Yesh mekomot shenahagu, he writes in his Birkei Yosef, shiure beracha and yore de asiman kovtzadihe. There are places where the custom is shahanida, woman is menstruating, lo ta'aseh shimusha bayit v'chol zorche abayit ha-mitakevim b'chlal. She's off. There's no home uh, um, doing, tidying involvement when she's a nida. I wonder if you know that minhag came about because a woman just didn't want to. But <laughs> you know, it was his wife. But um, but but effectively, that that's that quotes us from Biosefi Megas. That's an amazing thing. That's exactly what Harambam almost I told you was yeah. laughing at. I said, you see what they do? But we don't do that. That's a fascinating thing. Where could such a notion emanate from? I wonder if it emanates from. The Ramban Nachmani, the, the, alterior, the alternative approach to this. The alternative approach to this is that when you are Tameh, it's dangerous. Physically, metaphysically. Sefer HaChinuch, Ramban Nachmani. As a result, it might be permitted. We're not going to deny that. The rabbis permitted her involvement in the home. But let's stay away from that. It could be dangerous. Harambam, it's, it's, it, this was quoted in the footnotes. That's how I found this. In the footnotes, Tubir Ke Yosef, in source number seven, it's in She'elot Tishubot Harambam. His responsa were collected over time from Cairo Geniza and elsewhere. And this is from the Blau edition. Uh, so uh, effectively, someone's asking him about what this person saw as a leniency with regards to Harambam's words with regards to Nida. And I'm about to, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not really sure what I was lenient about. Are you referring to, he says, the fact that I permit a woman's involvement in the home? Can you imagine otherwise? He says, I know the Egyptians. And it sounds like he's referring to Jewish Egyptians. Do differently. They, 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 they deny any access involved with the women. He says, that sounds like the way of the heretics. That sounds like derech minut. If you want to accept it as a stringency to keep yourself more clean and distant, a siag... You could do it. Don't say that that's halakha. Don't say that that's the intention. Why is he so passionate about this? An extra humrah? I mean, is he really so nervous about an extra stringency? The answer seems clear. Harambam is nervous. Harambam says if you start talking, acting, and thinking like that, you put yourself down that rabbit hole called idolatry, the ways of Avodah Zarah. There's no one, but again, it's skewing proper thought of God and of Torah. Lastly, uh, I'll conclude with this. Source number eight is uh, from Shelo Tishbot Hatam Sofer. Hatam Sofer's uh, also in the last uh, 200 years, a rabbi, a well-known rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Sofer, who lived in Pressburg. He begins by quoting from Pri Hadash. Pri Hadash precedes him by several hundred years. Rabbi Rabbi Hizkiyad Di Silva, um, who, who writes in his book, Shematzakatu B'Shem Sefer HaMiksoot, a book called Sefer HaMiksoot, which whom they attribute to Rabbeinu Hananel. Rabbeinu Hananel precedes Harambam as well a generation or two. So effectively with quoting over the course of generations, all the way back. The Kohen HaNichnas Babayit, She'isham, second line here in source number eight, Hatam Sofer Ora Chaim Sivan Kaf Gimal, Dasham, if a Kohen enters a home and there's a woman who's menstruating, Lo Yivarech Et Yisrael, no Berkat Kohanim. Hu Birchato Klala, his blessing will really be a curse. Prihadash inciting this says, but don't publicize this. Says Hatam Sofer. Ha! You see what you did? You said not to publicize it, but you publicized it because you wrote it. I mean, it's, it's even further. You know, you ban the book. You say nobody should read it. 
Everybody reads it. So, I mean, he doesn't even say it like that. He says, you, you said not to publicize it, but you quoted it. You said not to publicize it. You publicized it. We didn't know it before him, per se. Continues Hatam Sofia. He first quotes one explanation for why this would be so. Again, why coming in contact in the same home as Anida would be problematic. And then he says, you know something? I think I have a different interpretation. Says Hatam Sofer, He goes into our conversation from earlier. The reason there was or is this practice of nervousness, fear, trepidation of the Kohen, now blessing people after he came in contact under the same roof as Anida, is like Ramban Nachmani told us in commentary of the Torah. There is something of essence there. Says Hatam Sofer, but wait a second. It's not really the reality today, is it? So he says, it's not, but I'll tell you why. Three lines before the end of this paragraph. Harambam would say, because it never was. Hatam Sofer says, no, I follow Ramban Nachman. Hine, kichen bizmanenu ele. In today's day and age, de'en shu madam nizah mizeh. You don't find this any longer. Odinishtanu hatva'im v'hazmanim v'hamekomot. Maybe science, reality just changed. This is an expression the rabbis have in two places where if the masses are already doing it, so to speak, God protects you. It's used in the context of it was by Rabbi Moshe Feinstein smoking, whether it's permitted on, uh, in general, halakha or not. Effectively, though, Hatam Sofer doesn't negate such an approach. Hatam Sofer says, I'm just telling you that it might not be as relevant to us any longer. And then he writes, Viyadati, in the last paragraph, Ke'agaon, Moreno, Arav, Zalman, Margoliot, Rabbi Ephraim, Margoliot, the author of Bet Ephraim, Nitorer al-Zelomar, Demishum Kenen, Kohanim, Osim Kapayim, Yom Bayom Bismaneno. Ashkenazi custom outside of the land of Israel is that only on the holidays do the Kohanim, do Bekat Kohanim. In Bet Ephraim, he suggests that did a whole class on this once about the different reasons that are suggested. What does that tell you about why they're not doing Berkat Kwanim? We don't know. They're just not. All the reasons I suggested just tell you. We're not fully certain about this. But his suggestion is the reason it's not. It so is. You're supposed to be metahir yourself before the regal. You're supposed to purify yourself. Then and only then are you, is your wife pure, is everything all together. That's when you could do Berkat Kwanim. Otherwise, because men come in contact, whether knowingly or not, with women on the same roof, and breathing next to them, nida, that's why they're not doing Berkat Kwanim. These last three sources, more specifically six and eight, seven is Haram Bam in the middle, but we quoted lots of names in here, are just fascinating in my opinion. It's whereas Ramban Nahmani, your jaw maybe didn't drop, and you said, listen, Ramban, he's describing once upon a time, these are much later sources. This is Rabbi Yosef Ibn Megas. This is not someone from down the block. You know, some uh, guy down the block who just got up in the synagogue and started yelling. These are the major sources. Harambam certainly is getting nervous about this. He's getting angry about this. But these are sources who are all discussing this matter of Tuman Tahara in a very serious non-Harambam, anti-Maimonidean type of fashion just to make the point with regards to what we've discussed throughout, how novel and unique oftentimes this thought of Harambam really was, and until today might be in many circles of contemporary Judaism. To make the claim that Tuman Tahara, along the lines of Kedushah, are not ontological, is not part of the essence of who the person is or what the circumstance, time, or place is, 
is somewhat anti-traditional. It's not the way that people, for better or for worse, have envisioned this throughout time. That's Rambam's point. To make that point more strongly, I finished off by saying, Ramban Nachmani is not some relic of the past. He's still being discussed, engaged with, until several hundred years ago, and probably until today. That's not to negate his opinion entirely, and I'll conclude really with this and make the following point, not per se in Tuman Tahara, but to bring you back to the conversation from last week and state, because there is a certain tendency in this class, and always, to kind of just check ourselves. So where do we stand on this? Oh, you gave me Maimonides, you gave me Harambam, where do we stand on this? And the answer oftentimes, in my mind, is somewhere in the middle. Harambam has drawn for us in many of these circumstances a very uh, extreme approach in which he says there is no matter of essence. It's like for Shabbat, he helped, helped us with. Whereas someone like Ramban Nachmani Rabbi Udahalevi will really give us the opposite end of the spectrum. If we end somewhere in the middle on these sorts of matters, which Hanambam may have, if you caught him in a, in, a, in a vulnerable moment, admitted to himself, he just has a mission and a program in which he's distancing you from that, uh, he might as well say to you, listen, your partnership in this world is together with God, right? So there is a manifestation of godliness and even of certain realities that uh, defy uh, certain uh, empirical evidence and investigation from yours and mine end. They just are. At the same time, there's responsibility uh, to go beyond that. There's responsibility to understand how that affects you. To say that the language, Lashon HaKodesh, has no unique attributes. Harambam had a strong statement about that. Nothing to do with it. It just doesn't have dirty words. I mean, but we do have many traditional texts that need to be done in such a fashion. You can negate all that, and it just kind of uh, glides over that. Maybe there's something on that one as well, in the middle on this. There is something inherent, but Bam says, but don't get lost in that. Don't become an idolater and say that that's the whole essence. Instead, understand there's something that in the way that it affects you as well. He did it in this paddock himself. He did admit to the fact, he says they are dirty. I'm not saying that it's per se a metaphysical change, but he does say there is something dirty about it. That's something of essence. Maybe that's what the Torah says. That's not enough, he says. The question is furthermore how that affects you as a person, how it makes you more mindful, mindful in life in general, mindful specifically in this context of the Mikdash, which in turn changes your perception, your appreciation, your approach of God um, in, in an everyday encounter as a result. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.